Welcome to the Faith Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. We believe today's message will empower you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Here's today's message. So go to James chapter 1, starting with verse 2. Last week we began the series, what is going to be a verse-by-verse study of the book of James and the book of Jude. And in the 50 minutes that we taught last week, I covered two verses. And so what this is going to be, we're walking through every single word, every single verse of this book. It provides context when you study a book in its entirety. Because you can pull your favorite scriptures, but if you don't know the different reasons why it's written, to who it was written, the timing it was written in, you won't have the full understanding. And so last week we explained who James is, how important he was to the early church, how he's the younger natural brother of Jesus. We talked about those different things. And so if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to get the message. It's for free on our podcast. You can subscribe and download to get it. You can go onto the website, download for free. We just want you to have the word. If you're a person who wants a CD, the CD is for sale in the bookstore because that covers the cost of the CD it's printed on. Also, if you want my notes for tonight's message, you can download it from the YouVersion Bible app, and you can walk through the many pages of notes I have for tonight. I think we'll get through 10 scriptures tonight, but we'll see. So picking up where we left off, James chapter 1, verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy. Consider it all joy. Think about it as joy when you fall into divers' temptations or trials and adversity. So this is where we stopped last week. But what is the reason why James tells them to count or consider it joy? It wasn't just the command to do so. He followed up by a reason. Verse 3 explains the reasons why you are to count it joy when you fall into adversity. This is why you count it joy when you go through a trial. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience. Count it joy, consider it joy, because your faith is being tried and it's going to work patience. Now, just reading that verse, you can go, well, why should I count it joy? So go to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7. You always use the Bible to explain the Bible. Don't use natural philosophy. Don't use what's currently popular to explain the Bible. Let the Bible define itself. 1 Peter 1.7. Because this is a theme that James talked about, that Peter talked about, and Paul talked about. 1 Peter 1 verse 7. says that the trial of your faith being more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Now, when it's talking about trying or gold tried by fire, it's talking about the refining process gold goes through. Here's some information about the refining process. Refining by fire is the preferable method for larger quantities of gold. In ancient times, this form of refining involved a craftsman sitting next to a hot fire with molten gold in a crucible being stirred and skimmed to remove the impurities of dross that rose to the top of the molten metal. With flames reaching temperatures in excess of 1,000 degrees Celsius, this job was definitely a dangerous occupation for the gold refiner. So what happens when you run into trial, pressure, and adversity? The pressure applied to your faith is comparable to gold being refined. So the trial comes, 
And it can be a trial that knocks out your faith or makes your faith more pure. Which lets you know that although you're building faith, there could be some things with your faith that shouldn't be. And the trial can purify your faith. Because what happens if you get gold that's not refined, that has a lot of dross or a lot of other metals on it, it's not as valuable. But once you purify the gold, it's worth more. And so Peter uses the example just like James and talks about the gold that's refined is more precious even though it perishes. So how much more precious is your faith than gold? Your faith is more precious and more valuable than gold and money. And then Peter lets you know that this refined faith will be praised at the appearing of Jesus. Remember, Jesus said in Luke 18, when he comes back, he's looking, he says, will I find what in the earth? Faith in the earth. Why? Not just because he likes it, he does. That's how you please God. But he's looking for faith so he can praise it. He's looking for faith because he's going to honor it. When Jesus comes back, those who live by faith, walk by faith, will be rewarded by him. Remember, well done, thou good and faithful servant. He's looking for faith. Faith is not a movement. It's not just a message. It's a lifestyle. You can never depart and move on from faith. Faith is supposed to be the basic building block you built everything from. And when trial and adversity comes, it has the potential to purify or refine your faith. Go back to James. Now, trials do not bring faith. The word brings faith. I know that Romans, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, the trial did not come to make your faith strong. Well, God sent this trial to test me. James will clear this up. We'll get to that tonight, I believe. But God did not send the trial. God did not send the adversity. God didn't want to test you to teach you something. There's some trials that just come with life. There's some trials that come because of the enemy. How do we know that? Hold a finger here and go to Mark 4. Why do trials come? There are some things you go in life because you made bad decisions. Right? So some things we can't blame the devil for. You just made the bad decision. You know, people love to blame everybody else. Those church people did it. Those black people did it. Those white people did it. Those Mexicans did it. The government did it. The Republicans did it. The Democrats did it. Blame everybody else, but what about you? Because it's easy to blame everybody else, but it's hard to look in the mirror and say, oh, you messed up. So there's some things you go through in life because you made the wrong decision. Now, there are things you go through because other people did things. Think about Joshua and Caleb in the wilderness. Their purpose was delayed 40 years because the rest of the nation was jacked up. It wasn't their fault that their purpose got delayed, but it was still delayed because of the irresponsibility, the non-faithfulness of others. 
But look, look at another reason why trials and tests and adversity and pressure comes. Mark 4, verse 14, the most important parable of the Bible. Jesus says, the sower sows the word. And these are they by the wayside when the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground when who have heard the word immediately receive it with gladness and have no root in themselves, so endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution arises for the what sake? Immediately they are offended. So why does pressure come? Because persecution is pressure brought by people. And we know this is what people who are, James is right into are facing, pressure brought by people. But tribulation and affliction is pressure brought by circumstance. So outside of people making mistakes and you making mistakes, the pressure comes because of the sake of the word. If you take the time to get the word, just know pressure is going to come your way. Don't think this is some life we just skip through, that you're skipping through the flowers of Jesus. Nothing bad will ever happen. No pressure ever come my way. I went to church this week. That just lets you know pressure is coming. Amen. Just already know. One of the things I was talking to the first lady about this week, I said, there are things that will happen when you're about to deliver the word. And so there are things that come up in life, and it's not, I was telling you, it's not always about you, it's about the word you carry. And so if you're ever assigned to minister, number one ministers, don't be surprised something crazy happens right before you preach. Because Satan wants to stop that word from getting out. There are times I've come here, and there was one time, I think it was two years ago, I think it might have been Super Bowl Sunday. I felt so sick, I was doing my best to stand up. And I was like, I feel like I'm about to throw up. I said, Jesus, please, I can't throw up. Because if I throw up at the altar, it's going to go viral, and they're going to make all these accusations. Preachers possess pukes at the altar. We can't do that, Jesus. And so I'm standing there saying, so I'm believing for this healing anointing to kick in, not just for them, I need it for me. And it did. But the thing is, you can't just let anything move you from preaching or delivering the word. You have to understand this is a battle. I understand that. I understand Satan doesn't like me. I don't like him either. But the thing is, you either endure or you get out. Ministry is not for the weak. It's not for the faint-hearted. It's for those who endure. And so that's the target on those who deliver the word. But it's also a target on those who receive the word. Why? The word has power. The word is a container of the power of God. And the word acted on releases the power. So don't always get some moves like, oh, why are all these bad things happening to me? Oh, woe is me. Satan is just trying to stop the word from working. He knows what the word will do. So he's trying to keep you from receiving the end result of the word. So he'll send persecution. He'll send affliction your way so that you back up from the word and are offended. Scandalizal is that word in the Greek. It means you just let go. You just back up. You can't do this no more. How many Christians don't go to church anymore because they're offended? They say, well, 
I know Jesus on my own. I can stay home and read my Bible. Now, more than likely, they ain't waking up early to read their Bible. Most of them aren't going to tune in on the Internet to watch either. And what has Satan done? Pushed them away, isolated them, and now he can pick them off. He comes for the word. Pressure comes for the word. It can also be individualized, isolated pressure to target one area of your life to make you back up. Because if Satan can't get you into sin, he'll try to contain you. You may not be backsliding, but you're not really progressing in an area. Okay, you're saved. He can't keep you from being saved, but he'll try to keep you sick. Oh, you're saved and healed. Oh, but don't get baptized in the Holy Ghost. Oh, you're saved, healed, baptized in the Holy Ghost, but you broke. Containment. Oh, wait a minute, you got some money, but now your marriage is messed up. Now your family's messed up. Understand why things come. It's not fair. It's a fight. The Christian life is not skipping through the roses. It is a fight. I was talking to someone this week, and I said, you have to understand when you are born again, your slave master became your opponent. Redemption views everybody as sold into the slave market of sin. But Jesus' blood brought them out of it, and now they're no longer slaves to sin. They're no longer slaves to Satan. But now you got an enemy who's been watching you all your life, knows what makes you tick, used to own you. Now he wants to fight you and bring you under his control. That is your opponent. But if you're always skipping around going, woe is me, why did this happen to me? You won't make much of a difference to the kingdom. I'm not talking about will you get to heaven. I'm talking about will you bring heaven to earth. And we become wimpy Christians. We wimp out at every sign of trouble. Trouble doesn't always mean you're doing something wrong. It could just mean you're doing something right. It could mean you are a threat. So if Satan sends something your way, you'd be kind of honored. You took all this time to mess with me? Oh, how sweet of you. Look at pressure a whole different way. Look at trouble a whole different way. Paul says in 2 Timothy, endure hardness as a good soldier. Endure pressure as a good soldier. Don't cut and run. What type of soldier would cut and run from a battle when a battle got tough? But Christians do it all the time. And he's like, well, I didn't leave the faith. But you left your standard faith. What have you been believing God for that's been so great, so grand, so extreme that you've given up for because the pressure came? And they said, well, I just need to be a realist. I just need to believe for some things that are easy to do. And then you give up on your dreams. And so now, yeah, you got some good things happening in your life, but Satan has contained you. So I can't take you to hell, but I can stop you from making a difference on this earth. James 1. Verse 3, knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience. As we said, trials do not bring faith. The word brings faith. Trials can test your faith, refine your faith, and remove the dross from your faith and produce patience. That's only if you respond to the trial the correct way. Because if you cut and run, your faith won't be refined. 
The word worketh here means to work down to the end point, to an exact, definite conclusion. So it's saying when the trial of your faith is over, the end result should be that you have patience. The word patience here means cheerful, hopeful endurance. The word patience means cheerful, hopeful endurance. It's not just hanging on to hang on. I made it through another trial. I'm always going through. It's cheerful. Have you ever seen people say, how are you doing? I'm going through. But they're always going through. You kind of know when you can get out on the other side. We walk through the valley of the shadow of death, not camp out and build a resort. And if it's cheerful, there should be an expression or act of joy. Hopeful because you believe you're not staying there. So the trial, if you respond to it correctly, can produce in you cheerful, hopeful endurance. Patience. Go to Galatians 5.22. The Lord is interested in you building patience. Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, long-suffering. The Holy Spirit is at work right now, producing in your recreated spirit the fruit of long-suffering. Every fruit of the Spirit must be cultivated. That requires time, effort, dedication, and attention. The word long-suffering means, of course, to suffer long or to gird up under pressure, persecution, distress, and trouble. It means to suffer long, to gird up under pressure, persecution, distress, and trouble, to remain steadfast. It's another word for patience. If you're going to be steadfast, it means you are unmovable. Don't let Satan move you. Don't let him move you from your confession of faith. Because Satan is not as strong as you think he is. We keep imagining Satan as some big, giant dragon that can take us out at a moment. He's not. He's not even in your class. Remember, you are a recreated being. Recreated in Christ Jesus. Where are you? In him. So, there's the angelic class. Satan's a fallen angel. There's humans who are above the angelic class normally. God puts you in his class. There is a man in the Godhead, and you are fully represented in him. And he reserved you a seat on the right side of the throne. Not a place for you to stand, a place for you to sit down. Only rulers and royalty can sit in the presence of a king. And he saved you a seat. Satan is not in your class. Stop praising him. We have more faith in the devil than we have the faith in God's power. People go, oh, don't say that out loud. Satan might hear you. So what? I remember, see, me and my brothers, we grew up in the Word. We grew up in Pentecost and the Holy Ghost. So we've had experiences all of life. And I remember my brother said to me that one time, 
think he might have been in college. He said he has recognized an enemy spirit just came into the room, stood by his bed, and said, I can kill you. And he replied, if he could, he'd have done it already. And went back to sleep. And the demon left. What happens? You got to know who you are. Stop letting the devil punk you. Endurance is also defined as patience. And endurance is the capacity to remain firm under suffering without yielding to anger, resentment, despair, or self-pity. This patience, this endurance, is the capacity to remain firm under suffering without yielding to anger, resentment, despair, or self-pity. So it's not always getting angry, always being offended, always resenting your situation, always being in despair, always saying, woe was me, you don't know my story, you don't know what happened to me. Everybody can create a woe was me tale. But there, in self-pity, there is no power. So you can either be pitied, you can be petty, or you can walk in power. It's your choice. Go to Romans 5. Romans 5. Romans 5, verse 2. This is Paul addressing the same type of subject. by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory, we rejoice, we boast in tribulation also. We rejoice is where tribulation means pressure, affliction, persecution, and trouble. So in the middle of pressure, persecution, and affliction, and trouble, we rejoice. That is not your normal reaction. Your normal reaction is something bad happens. Oh, let me call somebody. Let me vent to somebody. Let me do this. Let me do that. It's not, oh, praise God. I give you glory, honor, and praise God is going to see me through. But that should be our reaction. We don't rejoice because the trouble came, but in the midst of the trouble, we lift our voice and we rejoice. Knowing. Why do we rejoice? Why do we count a joy? That tribulation, that persecution, that affliction, that pressure, that trouble works. Patience. And patience produces experience. Now, why is this experience important? This experience is defined as proof or trustiness. That's actually a word, trustiness. It produces proof. This proof points to what God has done in your life and brought you through. You need to have experience. And if when this pressure comes, you stand in faith and stand in patience, when it's all said and done, you will have an experience or a testimony of God's faithfulness. This experience produces 
hope. The word hope means to anticipate with pleasure or confident expectation. So what happens if you go through the process? A lot of people want to escape the process. It's tough right now. The fire's hot right now. God, get me out of this situation. Now bring me through, have victory, get me out, Jesus. I can't stand it, it's too much, it's too hot. But if you would let God take you through it, because sometimes deliverance has got to snatch you out of a situation. Another time deliverance has got seeing you through a situation. Another time deliverance has got arming you to fight in the situation. And if you go through that process, you will have experience, and that experience will produce a confident expectation. What happens when you have a confident expectation? You know that you know that you know that God will see you through. No matter what comes your way, you know God's got your back and he's going to see you through. So you can begin to anticipate with pleasure, with joy, and happiness what your victory is going to look like. And why do you have that hope? And hope, this hope makes not ashamed. Why? Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost who is given unto us. Then it goes on to talk more about the love of God. So you know your confident expectation, your anticipation with pleasure is not going to let you down because you know that you know that you know that God loves you. So that means you can't respond like the disciples. When pressure comes, you begin to question his care. Because what happened in Mark chapter 4 after Jesus taught these things, they get on a boat and Jesus is asleep. He preached all day. Of course he's tired. He is sleeping on a pillow, maybe floating in the water that has flooded the boat. And they come and wake him up and say, Master, teacher, don't you care that we're dying? Now, Jesus, save us. It's really bad. We're dying. But do you care? If you don't have a revelation of how much God loves you, when something bad happens, your question is, God really love me? Well, why did this bad thing happen to me? Well, why is this going on? Instead of saying, he loves me, so he's going to bring me through. We're all old enough to know by now life isn't fair. Bad things happen to good people. Sometimes it's their fault, sometimes it's not. But if you grow in God, You'll get some patience. Then you'll get some experience. Then you'll get some hope. And that hope won't let you down. Go back to James. Then we move into our second verse. With the right attitude, with pressure, you will become more mature. With the wrong attitude, you'll become more immature. Spiritual growth is not always linear, that you're always moving forward. Where spiritual growth is concerned, you can go forward one day, back the next. You can be a faith giant one year, five years later, you can be a faith wimp. James 1, verse 4. You see, there's a tenacity, there's a toughness faith people have to have. What if Noah quit building the ark because it got hard? He says he built it by faith. Doesn't even mean he was good at building things. He could have been a struggling at Ikea instructions. Who said Noah was gifted at building an ark? People talked about him for years. It took him nearly 100 years to build that thing. What if he gave up 
I'm tired of people talking about me. They're calling me crazy. They're calling me senile. Because it never rained before. He's telling people something's going to happen. Because also he preached. So while he's building, he's preaching. Nobody believed him. It doesn't even say his family believed him. He could have gave up. And you know what happened if he gave up? He would have drowned. Abraham could have given up at any time. It took God 24 years to get Abraham to a place of faith. God will keep working with you. But if Abraham never got to a place of faith, even God wanted, though God wanted to use him in an amazing way, he would have never had that child. There's a tenacity, there's a strength you have to develop if you're going to walk by faith. It's not all, well, just wave the Bible over me and everything will be great. It's not a magic wand. This is not a Disney story. There's some things you have to do. You have a responsibility to grace. It's a free gift, but there's still things you must do. So verse 3, knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience, but let patience have her perfect, her complete, her entire work, that you may be perfect or that you may be mature and entire. That means complete in every area. Wanting nothing. That word want doesn't mean you don't want anything more. That word want means lack. So now you see why you got to count it all joy, why you have to rejoice. Because when it's all done and you let patience do what it's supposed to do, you can get to a place in your life where you lack nothing. So in the middle of your pressure, you should rejoice that although Satan meant this for my evil, I'm going to a place where I lack nothing. I'm not broke. I'm not sick. My family's together. I got joy in my life. I'm enjoying what God has called me to do. Everything I touch prospers. So just because something bad comes, my response is, oh, I'm getting to a place where I lack nothing. That's where God wants to take you, to a place of no lack whatsoever. It's Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is your shepherd, you shall not lack. Said so he leads me to place of green pastures. He leads you to water. Those aren't desert places. Those are places that produce. And if he leads you to a desert place, when you get there, it will produce. Elijah was in a time of famine. But God took him to a river and had birds feed him. Just because you can't figure it out doesn't mean God has a way to work it out. Because some historians believe, some theologians believe, because it says the birds will bring him food, meals. Some say that he went, those birds went to Jezebel's table, picked up her meal, and took it to the prophet of God. But then famine came. There's no rain. The river dries up, the brook dries up, he's got to go. So God says, I want you to go and see the widow woman. Why? Think about Elijah, what would you say? Why are you sending me to a widow woman? I need to eat, not starve. And he shows up to the widow woman, who you see when you understand the context God has already talked to. He says, can you go bring me a cup of water? She says, I'll go do that. She knew who Elijah was. God had already talked about taking care of the man of God. And he says, hey, as you go, make me just a little piece of cake. And she turns around, says, this prophet has asked for too much. He has lost his mind. 
Because I only have a few sticks left. I'm gathering these sticks so I can make a fire, make a little last meal for me and my son. We're going to eat it and we're going to die. That is bleak. That's impossible. It's like, oh, I'm so sorry. That's not what the man of God said. He says, go do what you said, but make me a cake first. That happened today, CNN, Fox News, MSNBC. All the scandals that are going on in the nation would pause to talk about this man. How dare you take it from that widow woman? How dare you? What's wrong with you? Then he said, thus saith the Lord. It won't fail. So God sent them to a place where there was lack to bring provision. So God can send you to a place where there's not enough so there'll be more than enough for you and those you are around. You got to think, he said, you, your son, and your house. So whoever came into that house had provision. So stop thinking, well, God, why would you send me to this area? He's got a purpose that's bigger than just you. God is interested in blessing neighborhoods and blessing nations, not just with blessing you. Yes, he loves you. Yes, he wants to bless you, but your impact has to expand. When patience has her perfect work, her full work. Verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom. Now remember, he's not changing subjects. We're still talking about people facing pressure, persecution, adversity, trials, right? So have you ever been in a trial or pressure and you didn't know what to do? This is what he's talking about. So if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that gives to all men liberally or bountifully and upbraid it not. That means God is not going to rebuke you or scold you for not knowing what to do. Some people might say, well, you should know what to do by now. Well, remember, God said in Proverbs 4, wisdom is the principal thing, to get wisdom. So if you don't know what to do, ask him what to do. And it shall be given him. God wants to give you wisdom. He wants to show you how to get out of that situation, how to be victorious. But you must ask. So, well, God knows what I need before I ask, but he still tells you to ask. So instead of sounding religious, well, God already knows what I need before I ask. He said ask, so ask. But knows what it says next. But let him ask in faith. Now, what happens when you have to say, but? That can negate everything that was said before. So, if you don't ask in faith, you won't receive what you ask for. So, what is asking in faith? Go to Mark 11. Ask in faith. It's going to say ask in emotion. It's say ask in tears. It said ask in faith. We know that word faith means belief, trust, confidence. Let's look at it defined a little bit more. Mark eleven twenty two. And Jesus answering saith unto them, Have Faith in God. 
instead of always going, what am I going to do about this situation, have faith in God. What about my family? Have faith in God. What about my health? Have faith in God. What about the economy? Have faith in God. What about the White House? Have faith in God. What about the Congress? Have faith in God. What about the Supreme Court? Have faith in God. What about the course of the nation? Have faith in God. What about what I saw on the news? Have faith in God. Stop putting your faith in elephants and donkeys. They can't deliver you. They can take your money, but they can't deliver you. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever, say I'm a whosoever, shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea. It's nine words, ten if you include the end. And shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have what soever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire. What does desire mean? What you want. Notice that things. Did it say spiritual things? Notice that things. So in order to even finish the scripture, what do you want? What things do you want? God does not have a problem with you having things. He has a problem with things having you. Now, does God give you things to meet your need? Who say yes? Who say no? Who say I'm not answering because I think it's a trick? <laughs> Remember what he said in 1 Timothy 6. He gives us richly all things to enjoy. He'll give you things not just to meet your need. He gives you things that you enjoy. So that means we don't love things. We love God. We love people. We don't love things. Because what happens, if you love things, you'll use people to get things. But because we love God and we love people, we will use things to love people. So I'm tra I've trained myself to say I don't love things. I enjoy things. So God blesses me with something, a car, a watch, or whatever. I enjoy that watch. Man, I enjoy that suit. I enjoy that TV. I don't love it. I enjoy it. Because the thing is, you've moved beyond need. You've even moved beyond want. You've moved to what you enjoy. Because the thing can be really expensive that you enjoy. And God never said you had to pay for it. He did say you have to bleed for it. So there's some things you want. Stop always trying to figure out how to pay for it. Set your faith and go, you know, God, I'd enjoy that. Why? He loves you. But that's getting to a different place of belief. So I'm not just believing God to get my needs met. I'm now believing beyond getting the desires of my heart. I'm now just believing to get things I enjoy. God wants to do that. Why? You see, in John 15, it brings God joy. It makes your joy full when you receive what you ask for. God wants to give you what you enjoy. 
So what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. You have to believe you receive when you pray. The word receive means to take. So you must believe that you take it when you pray. So by the time you say amen, your faith attitude must be, I have it now. And when you stand praying, forgive. If you have ought against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you of your trespasses. So there are six eyes of faith we've taught on before. The six eyes of faith. It's I believe. I will. I take it. I have it. I thank you. I forgive. The only way you can get to I believe is you see something in the word of God. And I choose to believe that. Then I will, they get your soul involved about what you're going to do concerning it. I take it. So when I pray, I take it. I'm believing for healing. I'm believing for something specific. I'm believing for wisdom. I take it when I pray. So I don't know what to do about a situation. I ask for wisdom. I'm taking the wisdom that I need because it's provided. You have to. So the thing is, let's say someone says, you order your food at Chick-fil-A over there. Pay for it. You got to pick it up from the counter. And you just stand looking at it. Oh, I'm really hungry. Spicy chicken sandwich would be really good. It's no pickles because pickles are disgusting. That pizza milkshake looks really good. Oh, that large fry. It looks really good right there. And you can keep looking at it. It's not going to do any good until you go up and you... You can admire the promises of God all day long, but it'll do you no good until you. And you take it by faith. I have it. So now your belief is, I've taken it by faith. I got it right now. Whether I see anything different, whether I feel anything different, whether I've seen anything change, I have it. It's mine. I asked for wisdom. I got it now. I asked for healing. I got it now. I asked to get out of debt, I got it now. I asked for a brand new car, I got it now. I asked for a new house, I got it now. And then the thing is, if someone gave something to you and you took it, it's just polite to say thank you. So God is providing the wisdom, giving you all things to richly enjoy. He's giving it to you, you've taken it by faith, you just need to say, Father, I thank you for it. And you live in thankfulness, thanking God every day about whatever you're waiting to manifest. Faith praises before it shows up. Then the last I is I forgive. Unforgiveness will block your faith. That's why we begin these messages saying, I forgive everybody of everything. What happens every time you say that, even if you're not offended at anybody, you're practicing forgiveness. If you get into the practice of forgiveness, it's easier to forgive people when they offend you. Because offense is an event. Don't make it your lifestyle. So when you say, I forgive, it's actually a financial term. I remember one time I say this all the time. I remember if someone did something and it offended me, they were in the wrong. But I'm acting by faith. I forgive them. I let it go. And then it came out of my mouth from my spirit, and they don't owe me nothing. I was like, well, wait a minute. Because a lot of us, 
are willing to forgive if they come back and say, you know, I was wrong. I was sorry. Please forgive me. How can I make it right? But God didn't say forgive them if they do it. Forgive them if they don't act petty. He said forgive them. So you have to make up in your mind, I will forgive them, and I'm not going to hold it over their head. I'm not going to always remind them about what they did to me. You have to forgive it and let it go. Everything is by faith. You forgive by faith. Doesn't mean forgiveness is not an emotion. You can say, well, I feel like forgiving them, so I'm going to forgive. You're never going to feel like forgiving them. Once you make a decision to forgive them, five seconds later, you can get mad all over again. And you have to remind yourself, nope, I forgave them. And what if your body keeps troubling your body, your flesh keeps saying, oh, but they did this and that? Put your money where your mouth is. Like, you know what? I'm going to go and take them out to dinner. I'm going to find something they like, and I'm going to bless them. Your flesh will shut up. Because your flesh don't want you spending money on people who are ratchet to you. This is really walking by faith. You know what the suffering of the believer is? It's not poverty. It's not sickness. It's walking in love with unlovable people. That's why it says love one another, and it says bear with one another. That means put up with people. Because somebody has to put up with you. So don't think you just perfect. I'm the best thing since Jesus himself. We get around you enough, we know that you ain't him. We all know that we have work to do. We're striving for that maturity. We're striving for the perfection, and we know we're not there yet. So just because your struggle is different than someone else doesn't mean he gives you a right to judge them. Because that's judging unrighteously. And what happens if you judge unrighteously to that same standard you judge, you will be judged. God never told you to judge people. He said judge fruit. You have to forgive. You have to let it go. But we're so caught up with being offended. It is the most popular thing to do on social media for people to talk about how they're offended. So you scroll down. Oh, I can't believe they did this. 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 They're offended at everybody. So what happens? If everybody's offended, everybody walks in unforgiveness, there's no faith. If there's no faith, there's no grace. If there's no grace, there's no power of God in action. If there's no power of God in action, Satan kicks the butt of the entire nation. So stop getting offended at everything a politician does. You don't have to agree, but you don't have to be offended either. Take it to the throne of God. I take tweets to the throne of God now. I never thought I would have to take tweets to the throne of God. But this one time I had looked at my phone like, sir, do you see this? <laughs> Father, I need you to intervene in this situation. What happens? I'm not going to be offended. I'm not going to let it block my blessing. But I have a responsibility to pray. Just pray for all those who are in authority. It doesn't say you have to like them. It doesn't even say you have to vote for them. It says you have to pray for them. So it doesn't matter if you follow a donkey, follow an elephant, you in between, you not in any party. It doesn't matter. You have to pray. And I pray, God, strike them down. Jesus, strike them down. We need a really good lightning bolt. The thunder roll. Come on, strike somebody, Jesus. No. 
You pray that they come to the full knowledge of the truth. Like God gives them wisdom and understanding. That the eyes of their understanding are enlightened. That their ears are open. That God sends a right labor across the path. That he surrounds them with godly counsel. You're supposed to do that with every level of authority. Your city council, your mayor, your governor, your state senators, your state representatives, your U.S. senators, your U.S. congressmen, the president of the United States. That means it takes time when you pray. You can't just say, God bless me, my four no more, and move on. That means you should actually know people by name. You should know who your representative is and pray. You should be praying for this upcoming election, whether you're in District 6 or not. Pray for both of those individuals. Pray for people. Just pray for all those who are in authority, all those who have influence. Don't get offended at everybody. Pray for them. Because the thing is, you know, there are certain things that come out in movies or award shows, and then Christian people just get offended. I can't believe that sinner sinned. What else are they going to do? Sinners sin. That's what they do. Stop being offended. Pray for them. You know, I'll talk, my wife and I will talk about different things, talk to my staff about it. And there might be a certain celebrity that does that. And I say, oh, brother so-and-so, we're praying for them. Sister so-and-so. They say, not even close. But someone's got to treat them like a potential child of God. Because one day, a number of them may come in here. I mean, how would you like to be that person that's messed up on national television? And you come to church and someone's preaching against you specifically. Not about the sin in general, but you as a person. How would you feel? You wouldn't stay there, you'd walk out. And you would turn on God to see, no one's going to love me. We have to be stop someone being so judgmental. Being so offended. Sinners will sin. Yes, they will. But you have to love them. You have to pray for them. And you have to believe that God's going to work in their life. And that when they come into church messed up, dealing with the effects of the curse. We can get them saved and help them grow in the things of God. We can't clean fish before we catch them. You can't hold the world to your standards. They are the world. You are the church. Now, church people shouldn't act like world people. But that's because church people stay like babies. Baby stage. They don't mature. They got saved, so they have fire insurance but they're still worldly. That's why you have to grow on the things of God and give importance to the ministry of the word. Let's go back to James. Actually, go to 1 John 5, and then we'll get to James. It looks like I did three scriptures today. Well, praise the Lord. More than last week. 1 John 5. First John chapter 5, verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Well, how do we know God's will? God's will is his word. His word is his will. So if you ask anything according to the word of God, you know you're asking towards his will. He hears us. Why is that important? If we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have, not will get, we have. 
past tense, it's faith, that we desired of him. So if you're going to ask for wisdom, which is the context in James, verse 1, you see in the word of God, God wants you to have wisdom. His will is for you to have wisdom. If you ask him for that wisdom, he will give it to you, and you can have confidence that God will give me this wisdom, that God has given me this wisdom. So that means you have to stop walking around saying, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what to do. I just don't know what I'm going to do. Because wait a minute, you just contradicted what you prayed. Either you believed what you prayed or you're believing what you're saying. You have to change what you say if you're going to walk by faith. So you can run into a situation and in the natural, in your mind, you don't know what to do. So change the language. Well, I don't know what I'm going to do yet. But I will soon. Because I have the wisdom of God. Go back to James chapter 1. We'll begin to wrap it up here. Wow. Verse 6, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that waver is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. Waver means to stagger or to withdraw from. Double-minded means to be two-spirited or vacillating between two opinions. So if you go back and forth on the issue, you will not receive anything from God. Faith has to progress from the asking to the standing in faith, not being moved by circumstance, pressure, or refinement. Verse 8 says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So if you're a person that goes back and forth from what you believe one moment in church on Sunday, what you believe in church on Wednesday, but then what happens on Monday and Thursday moves you from your faith, you won't receive anything from God. Then people say, oh, faith doesn't work. No, faith does work. You just didn't work. Right? You went back and forth, so you're not in a position that you can receive. And what happens now that you're not in a position that you can receive, you are double-minded and you are unstable in all your ways. Not some of your ways, you're unstable in every way. But if a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways, a single-minded man is stable in all his ways. And if you focus on the word of God, If you apply yourself to receiving the word, to reading the word every day, listening to the word preached and taught every day, letting the word come out of your mouth every day, you will develop a singular focus on the promise of God and your life will be stable. You all know unstable people. Don't be one of them. And how do you not be one of them? Focus. You need to read the word of God every day. And add to that, you need to listen to the word preached every day. That's why we put all of our podcasts up for free. Everything's on the website for free. So you can listen to it. If you're struggling faith in one area, get a message that targets that area and listen to it again and again and again until it changes your mind and it gets deep in your heart. Because that's when you'll be focused. You can't just hear it one time. You have to hear it again and again and again. Why? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Stand to your feet. I'll stop here. Hallelujah.
And we got five or six verses. We did pretty good. Pick up the rest next week. And this is the type of teaching we're doing as we walk verse by verse by verse. Is it helping anybody? Amen. Well, let's thank God for the word of God. Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you for opening our understanding. We thank you for helping to renew our minds tonight as we look at the word of God. Help this book come alive to us, Father. Let us see more and more, Father, as they leave this place tonight, as they go through this week, let the book speak to them more and more and more that every time they read through James and Jude now, they have a fresh perspective full of revelation from heaven. We thank you for what you said to us tonight. Help us live it. In Jesus' name. Every head bow, every eye closed in prayer. No one moving or walking unless we assigned you to do so. We don't want to close an experience like you. I hope you enjoyed today's message. We never want to close a broadcast without giving you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So if you've never asked him into your heart, you've never made him your Lord and Savior, pray this prayer with me today and mean it from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died for me, but on the third day, you raised him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me now. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit and help me to live this Christian life. If you prayed that prayer and meant it from your heart, we believe you've been born again. We ask that you email us at info at FCCGA.com. That's FCCGA.com to let us know about the decision you've made for Christ today. Have an amazing day.